right into the passage then, the book of Genesis. But, but before we read, did, would you be able to have told me? Okay, all right. Um, good, good. So anyway, let's go read from Genesis chapter 5. Um, I'm going to begin reading at verse 18. When Jared had lived, that's the father of Enoch. When Jared had lived for 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch for 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived for 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he had fathered Methuselah for 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch, kids, listen to this. Enoch walked with God, and he was not. All of a sudden, he was not. What do you mean not? He wasn't on this earth anymore. The Bible says, for God took him. All right, I'll get back to that a little bit later on. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 references Enoch as a man of faith. I want to start at verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. Now, I want you to, to notice as we read through this how many times the word commend or commendation is mentioned. Uh, a, a, a commendation is... is um, uh, a voicing, if you will, or a recognition of approval. Okay, so a lot of these individuals were approved by God. For by it the people of old, that is faith, received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Now here's Enoch. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was, there's that word again, commended, that is recognized as approved, as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now look at that last phrase, he rewards those who seek him. Now we find that word reward here also as we get to the question and answer 62 and 63 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So what I'm going to do is um, I'm going to read question 62 and we'll give the answer together and the same thing with question 63. So over the past couple of weeks, we have seen, and I'll get back to this right in the beginning of the sermon, so I'm not going to spend time on this, but what we have seen over the last few weeks is that we're placed into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Not our works, but through faith in Jesus and faith alone. Okay? Now, the question then is, question 62, but why can't our good works not be our righteousness before God, or at least part of it? And let's say together... Because the righteousness which can stand before God's judgment must be absolutely perfect and in complete agreement with the law of God. Whereas even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. But do our good works earn nothing even though God promises to reward them in this life and the next? 
This reward is not earned, it is a gift of grace. So there we find that uh, reward. Now, I don't, I don't know if you notice this um, as we go through this catechetical series, and for the kids who are going through catechism classes during the week as you're instructed in the basics of the faith, I don't know if you ever, ever notice this, but there's kind of an interesting thing going on in this teaching document that comes to us in question-and-answer format. And there's what I call uh, a detractor, or what I would call a questioner. And he's almost, he's, you just think of it as a, as a guy who's kind of in the shadows a little bit, and, and he's observing a, a teacher, if you will, going through this document and explaining the basics of the Christian faith. And um, it's, it's interesting that as this Catechism follows this kind of logical, systematic approach to explaining the Christian faith. This, this detractor or this questioner kind of pipes in almost, and he says, okay, well, you say this and you assert that. Okay, yeah, I, I, I hear it and I get it, but what about this? And then it's like the, the, the teacher of this, of this catechism who's, who's training us in the, in the basics of the faith says, okay, well, let me answer that, yada, yada, yada. And then the questioner, the detractor, listens to that, and he goes, well, okay, yeah, I'm listening to that, and, and I get it, but what about this? And then the teacher says, okay, then he addresses that, and then he says, well, what about this? And it kind of goes back and forth at certain places in the catechism. Really, it's kind of interesting. So this is, this is the, the, the approach that I want to take, at least in, in the very beginning, and just, just listen to me and, and follow this, this logic, because it's important for us. Over the past a couple of weeks, we have been looking at this question, um, how, how does a person come into a right relationship with God? And it's a question that we need to ask ourselves. In fact, every human being needs to ask themselves that question. And not every human being does that because you know, as well as I know, and maybe you were like this at what point in your life where you're kind of cruising through life and you think everything's kind of thumbs up between, you know, me and God. And well, why is that? Well, um, because, you know, um, yeah, I believe that there is a God and I believe that there is a loving God and do I live always as a good person? Well, I try to. Uh, but you know what, uh, to err is human, as they say, and nobody is perfect. And so I think in the end, while I would not view myself as a crass sinner, I would still say, I do commit some errors, but I'm basically a good person, and God is a loving God, and so I think in the end, everything's going to be okay. A lot of people like that. In fact, the majority of people like that, okay? But, but the thing is, is the, 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 the Bible teaches us that God is a whole, perfectly holy and God is a just God who must punish sin, even the smallest of sins, okay? And that every human being is in a worse state than what they really realize, and every human being needs to, to somehow cross a bridge to God. And every human being needs to be reconciled to God, and every human being needs to be in a right relationship with God, because in and of ourselves, we're not in that right relationship. Well, how do we get into that right relationship? And the Bible says, well, that comes through faith in Jesus Christ, because, because Jesus himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father but through me. So the question is, if Jesus is the way to the Father, is there anything that Jesus requires of us 
that will bring us through him to the Father. And the answer to that is our faith, a simple childlike faith whereby we entrust ourselves not to ourselves but to Jesus and what he did on the cross for pain for our sins. Faith. Not works, not a combination of faith and works, but what Christ calls us to do is exercise faith and faith alone in him. Okay, so you hear all that. And imagine yourself, you're the detractor, you're in the questioner, and you're listening to us. This is going to raise the question, because that almost seems too easy, right? Just believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you in the cross, and you'll be placed in the right relationship with God. Too easy. So the detractor then asks this question, okay, so we're saved and we're put into a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and through faith alone. Well, let me ask you something. Why is it that my good deeds can't help me climb that ladder to God, right? Why, why can't my goodness, my inherent goodness in terms of my nature and my deeds put me in a right relationship with God? And the answer that this document gives on the basis of the Bible is, well, that, that sounds fine, but here's the problem. The, 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 the deeds or the works that you do in this life can never meet the standard of God. Why is that? The tractor says. Well, because God is a holy God. God is a completely sinless God. And God requires moral perfection on our part. Because here's the thing that you don't realize, the teacher says to the detractor, is God doesn't grade on a curve. God never, when you fail, even in the smallest way, God just doesn't say, well, you know, I understand it's human nature. Do better next time. No, it's a very serious thing. Even the smallest of sins separate us from God. This is why that our, we cannot be put into right relationship with, our God, with, our, with God through our works or a combination of faith and our works. Our works can contribute in no way. All right. I'm going to get to Enoch now in 30 seconds. So then, one more thing. The detractor, the questioner says, okay, if we're saved through faith alone, in Christ alone, and our deeds don't figure into this equation in any way, well then, ah, then why does God promise to reward the good that we do in this life? Why would he do that? Don't rewards assume or presuppose some kind of deserving on our part? What's going to be your response to that? What's going to be your response? Okay, this is what we're dealing with, this whole relationship between faith and works and rewards. Okay, now some of the answers, let's get into the passage. Some of the answer to that lies in this gentleman called Enoch. Now, the, the Bible mentions Enoch just in a few places, and even when it does, it doesn't say much about him, but this we know about Enoch. Uh, Enoch was uh, a preacher. Enoch conveyed the, uh, a word of the Lord to people around him, so he was not quiet about that. Um, Enoch, we read, pleased God. Enoch walked with God. Um, Enoch lived, kids, this is a long time. Enoch lived 365 years. That's over three centuries. And we read how his father, uh, Jared, what was he? Was, it was, uh, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to that just a moment because uh, I want to get this right. I, I think it's something like, something 62, I was reading there. 962 years. We read from Genesis. <laughs> his dad was 900. So his, his dad was um, a, a little less than three times as old as his son. So, and then, and, and Enoch probably would have lived long if God didn't take him, right? And then um, his, his son Methuselah, Enoch's son Methuselah, lived to be 969 years. That, that, that's almost 1,000 years. 
I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want to live that long. But they did back then, and I'm not going to go into all the reasons why it doesn't get the, the centrality of a passage. But, but here's the thing. Enoch is most well known for the gentleman who walked this earth and then God decided to take him. Boop, just like that. And you start thinking about that, and you play around in your head, and it's like, how did that happen? I mean, did, uh, did his wife wake up one morning, and all of a sudden he's gone? Or was he working out in the field, and all of a sudden, boom, he's gone? Uh, I don't know how that worked. The Bible doesn't say. But God decided to, to take him. And how did he take him? And also this, why did God take Enoch? All these questions are, are we, we don't know the answers to. But, but we have to stick with what we know about Enoch and what our passage tells us about Enoch. The main thing is that Enoch was, was, was a child of God. So while others were living apart from God at this time, Enoch had given his heart to the Lord. He believed in God. He believed in the existence of God. He walked with God. He pleased God. So we read in verse 5 of Hebrews chapter uh, 11, we read that by faith, he was a man of faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was then not found. Why, is, why wasn't he found? Did he get, become lost? No, God had taken him. Now, there, now before he was taken, he was commended, that is, he was recognized as approved as having pleased God. So, the text is not abundantly clear, but maybe God just decided to not have Enoch experience perhaps the throes or the pains of death because he pleased God and it was somewhat of a reward on the part. We don't know. But what we do know is that Enoch was a God-pleaser and that he walked with the Lord and the Lord decided to take him. And I want you to notice that when we read about Enoch, Enoch finds himself in this chapter called Hebrews chapter 11. And Hebrews chapter 11 basically lays out for us what I call the, the hall of fame for those who believed in God. Now, there's many other people who believed in God, but when you read Hebrews chapter 11, it kind of mentions very important figures. And I, I find it very interesting that though the Bible doesn't say much about Enoch, it does decide, the Lord does decide to place him here in Hebrews chapter 11 as a man of faith, but more than a man of faith, a man who walked with God, a man who pleased God, a man who was obedient. And when you take a look at Hebrews chapter 11 as a whole, Enoch is not the only one. It mentions a number of other individuals who believed in God and who believed in the promises of God and who believed in the Messiah Jesus to come, and then they evidenced that faith and they showed the authenticity of their faith on the basis of the way that they lived, albeit imperfectly, before God. So when you take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, you see believing people, but people who walked with the Lord and pleased Him and were obedient to Him. So just verse 6 yet, and without faith, it says, it is actually impossible to please Him, for who would ever draw near to God must believe, number one, that he exists, but they must believe also that God, and here's a very important phrase, that God rewards those who seek him. So this is, this is not what we call cheap grace or cheap faith, where you just exercise faith in Jesus Christ and you call it good, live your life the way you want to live it, because after all, we're not saved on the basis of our deeds or our works, right? We're saved by faith. But there is no faith that is really authentic or genuine that is not displayed, as Jesus teaches us, in the fruit 
of a Christian life. Okay, and, you, and you, you see that in Enoch, and you see that basically also in Hebrews chapter 11. So it speaks about the Lord saying, okay, you're believing, but I also want to see fruit. And when I see faith, and when I see fruit, the Lord says, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to reward you for that. And sometimes Christians get kind of uncomfortable talking about rewards. And I think one of the reasons why they become uncomfortable talking about rewards is because they don't properly understand how those rewards that Christ promises us, those eternal rewards, actually come to us. But for now, I want to draw your attention. If you would, uh, A.V., can you put on some of those scriptures relating to... There, take a look at how often the Bible speaks about reward. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and rejoice and be glad. Notice there's that word, reward. Be glad for your reward is great in heaven. Whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water because he is my disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may have a full reward. Reward, reward, reward. And there's other places. This is just a sampling of the biblical usage of the word reward. And so the Lord, the Lord says, you know, how you live your lives here below. I mean, ultimately, the motivation for what we do in this life is the glory of the Lord because we love him. And because of what Christ has done for us, so we show gratitude. But there is also the eternal rewards that lie before us. And, and it's okay to say, you know what, we need to strive for those rewards. We need to live before the Lord so that we will one day gain those eternal rewards. But here's the thing that we need to think about. And that is this. It's very easy when talking about rewards to think that in some way, even if it's a small way, we, in the end, will have deserved those rewards, right? Because if you think about it, um, doesn't the word reward assume some kind of meritorious effort on our part, right? Um, I mean, think about it. Who was ever rewarded for anything which they, in some ways, didn't deserve. Let, let me give you a simple illustration of that. Let's say you're, you're, you're walking uh, through your neighborhood, and every once in a while you, you see some posters on street lamps, on stop signs or whatever. And you take a look at that, and there's just this kind of a small poster, or eight, even just an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper. And you look at that, and you see a picture of a dog there, right? And it's, it's a little black lab puppy. And... And then it lists the, the name of the dog. Let's just say it's Shadow or whatever, okay? And, it's, and, and you see lost puppy, name Shadow, if found, call this number, and then it says $50 reward. So let's say that you're walking in your neighborhood, and as you're walking along, you happen to see in the neighborhood, you see a little puppy a couple days later. And, go, and you're thinking to yourself, maybe that's a lost dog. So you go, shadow, shadow. And then and he kind of responds. He starts walking up to you, and you pick up the dog, and you look at the dog, and you see there's a collar there. 
and you think of this might be the dock. So you go to that little poster's not that far away, and you look, oh, there's the number, and you got your phone with you, and you dial, or you, you punch in the number, and you get this person who answers and says, I think I, I, I may have your dog. So is this a black lab? Does it look like such and such? Do you have this kind of collar? And they go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you say to yourself, okay, well, I'll tell you, where's your address? I'll, I'll come bring them to you. And they say, okay. And they give you the address, and you find this within a mile. And you, you drive, to, the, you drive to, the, uh, to that home, and you, you present the dog, and they're overjoyed. Yeah, that's the dog. And they give you a $50 reward. Now, here's the thing. You think about it. You're the one who saw the dog. You're the one who picked up the dog. You're the one who called the number on the poster. You're the one who actually took the time to put the dog in your car and travel to that address. You bring in that dog to the address. You knock on the door. They answer the door. They're overjoyed, and they give you the $50 reward. You're the one who followed all of those steps. You're the one who did all of that, and in the end, you say, well, you know what? I guess I deserve the reward because I found the dog, and I went through the effort of giving the dog back to the owner. But when it comes to our relationship with God and the rewards that are promised to us, eternal rewards, the Bible teaches us that, that the reason why God gives us the reward is not because of any kind of meritorious effort on our part, but the reason why God rewards us in the end, it's because God, by his grace and his spirit, actually worked those deeds in our lives, which we display as the fruit of faith in our lives. L listen to this from Ephesians chapter 2. And maybe some of you have this uh, memorized. For, and, and this is, the, here's uh, verses 8 through 10 are well worth memorizing. And maybe uh, teachers here, if you're teaching uh, the, the catechetical classes, this is something to have the kids memorize, okay? Because it gets the heart of the gospel. For you've been saved by grace, through faith, not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, did you, did you catch closely the language? The Bible says that we are saved by God's grace. It is a gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ, which when you read the Bible, even that faith is a gift that God gives to us. But then it also mentions not just grace and faith, but it also mentions works. And if you follow the wording closely, it says we're not saved by our works, but in order to do good works for good works, which, and here kind of blows your mind, which God has prepared beforehand, <laughs> that is from all eternity, that we should walk in them. When you think about it then, our reward, any kind of reward that we receive in eternity, is nothing of us. It is all of God. Grace is a gift. Faith is a gift. Even the works, the deeds that we perform in this life are a gift because it's God actually through his word and spirit working in us and through us for his glory. That's why we say, as those within the Reformed tradition, we say, soli deo gloria, right? To, not me, to God alone be the glory. 
I want to I want to bring one quick quote to you before we close. If you put the next quote on, this is a Martin Bucer. Martin Bucer was a reformer of the 16th century, and he put it like this. He said, "The fact that God rewards our good works is not on the grounds of our righteousness, right? Our our conformity, our perfect conformity to the law of God. That's impossible." Right? So the fact that God rewards our good works is not on the grounds of our righteousness, but purely from his free grace and for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. Thus, when God rewards our good works, he is rewarding his works and his gifts in us rather than our works. Now, these are subtle differences, but they are very important differences because the, the question is, hey, come on, who's going to get the glory in the end? When we get to achieve the eternal reward, it's not going to be us. It's going to be the grace of God. And that's why the catechism says, rightly, this reward that is promised us is not earned. It's not earned. It's a gift of grace. Now, do we really realize how radical that concept is, this, this whole thing that I've been talking about over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes? Do we really re realize how radical that is? Because here's the thing. Every major religion in the world and every cult teaches us that it's either what we do exclusively in our so-called good life that's going to put us in a right relationship with, I guess, God out there, or it's a combination of believing in this God plus our meritorious works, and together we bring our faith and our works before God, and then he says, on the level of how much obedience we've had in our lives, he's going to reward us on the basis of that. And the Bible says no. The only reason why God rewards is because of his grace and his good pleasure and what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Did you know that there's, there's, only, there's only one person in the history of the world who has ever deserved a heavenly reward on the basis of meritorious works and inherent righteousness? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Jesus never sinned. In fact, Jesus more positively was always obedient. Jesus always followed his Father's will. In fact, Jesus followed his Father's will all the way to the point of death and death on a cross to pay for our sin, and as we've seen the last couple of weeks, to clothe us in his righteousness so that when God looks at us, he sees sinners, but he sees sinners who are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and it's on that basis that he receives us, and in receiving us, he continues to give his grace and his good pleasure to us and his word and his spirit as gifts to work in us and through us for his glory. It all goes back to God. It all goes back to God. It all goes back to God. So, where does that leave us? Number one, it leaves us, at least it should leave us, as a humble people, right? As the, as the old hymn puts it, nothing then in my hands I bring only to the cross of Christ do I cling. There's no room for any of us to boast. Secondly, it leaves us with a motivation to keep striving for godliness in this life because we know the great reward is coming 
recognizing in the end though again by way of review that this reward is not ultimately deserved but it comes from the good pleasure and the grace of god and then finally this it leaves us with a beautiful beautiful message to give to the world and that is we say to people that we interact with regarding the gospel we we, we can say to people you know what um stop striving stop stop just trying to work your way to God. This is like a, it's like a mouse on a wheel. You keep going over and over and over, and you're not getting anywhere, right? It's like being on a treadmill. Go, 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 go. And, and they're, they're, they're working as hard as they can to try to be in a right relationship with God. And in the end, if you ask them a question, do you think in the end that God will receive you and draw you to himself for eternal reward? The best that they can give is, man, I hope so. That should never be the response of the Christian. I hope so. Because of what Christ has done, it's I'm assured so. Because I know that Christ is a sufficient Savior. And that's the beautiful gospel good news that we have to give to the world. So, with that in mind, we're going to have a little bit of discussion time in just a moment. Before we do, let's um, join me, if you would, in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you now this afternoon, Lord, we're grateful for the beauty of the gospel, and we're grateful, O oh Lord, for, for really um, these things, your grace and your good pleasure, and uh, above all, for the gift of Jesus Christ. And, and, and in addition to that, as important as it is, for the gift of your Spirit, who works in us to fulfill what you have ordained for us, namely the works that you have prepared for us for, from all eternity. Lord, this, this, is, this is so wonderful, and it just kind of boggles our minds, but it is the gospel, and something is very beautiful to us, and we thank you for that. Now, Lord, just for a few minutes now, bless our discussion that we have together, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.